0: Man, we thank God for the ability to be here today, to be able to open up the sacred text, to be able to hear Him speak to us through His Word. And for that, we are grateful. We are blessed uh, to be in that position to uh, to be here today. Um, for this topic here this morning, the the, te- the title of the of the, the the message here today is "Pray for Your Church Leaders." Again, this is. Um, an overview of chapter four of the book, I am a church member, and I got to be honest with you, um, as I work through this text, I work through this topic, this is something that i just been wrestling with all week, and um, it's, it was tough. I really wasn't sure how I would go about addressing this. My first instinct, to be honest with you, was just to skip this chapter because it, it felt a little self-serving for me to stand here and to tell you to pray for me, um, and just to, to, to do that because I, I, I want to just, you know, play the background oftentimes. But the reality is, as your pastor, it's really the truth. I desperately need your prayers. Uh, being an under-shepherd is one of the most rewarding uh, things that I've ever done in my life. To be able to stand here and have God speak through me is a humbling experience. And to be able to do this week upon week, to be able to serve you by praying for you, um, uh, being counsel with you, be there with you through grieving times, being there with you through uh, times that are uh, celebratory, um, it's an honor truly to be able to do this and be able to be entrusted by the Lord to lead his people here in Bolingbrook. And so I, I thought it would be good it'd be, uh, may, maybe uh, to, to come and just to lay down everything and let the Lord do his job like he always does and to go through and, and, and go through, walk through this text. This, this text this morning. We're going to be in chapter 3 of First Timothy. So if you would turn with me there, and your copy of God's Word will be in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Here in his, this letter, Paul is writing to um, his, his son in his faith, his protege, Timothy, with the purpose of instructing Timothy on the fundamentals of the church as he leads as a a young pastor and what that really looks like. And he stresses that it's vitally important that the church have leaders that are qualified to teach and ones that set the example for the congregation. So you might be asking the question, what are these qualities and responsibilities of a pastor? And of course, in order to find the answer to that, we're going to look to Scripture. You know, I wish we would do this with all the questions that we have in our lives, that a question would come up in our life or we would see something happen in the world. And as opposed to coming up with our own answers, I wish that we would go to Scripture and ask God how we might um, respond to the things that are coming up in our lives, the things that we're dealing with in the world, how we should react to certain things, how we should structure our lives how we should live it out, how we should interact with other people. I wish, this is a sidebar, I wish that we would consult the scripture to understand what God has to say about those topics. That's what we're going to do here today is look to Scripture to find the qualifications of a pastor. Now, again, if you're watching online or if you're a guest with us here today and you're looking for a a local church to belong to, I I want you to really tune in to what we're going to talk about today as it comes out of Scripture, because these are the qualities that you ought to be looking for in a pastor as you go to find a church home. 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1. Starts by saying, here from Paul to Timothy the same is trustworthy. if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble work and you might we're going to stop there you might be saying well I thought you were going to tell us what the qualifications of a pastor was and it talks about overseer what's, what's happening here so let's pause. And we're going to be doing some deconstructing of a lot of words today. So I want you to imagine, you know, being back in English class and learning the words. And we're going to do some, let's talk about what these, these mean in the original language. And I'm not trying to flex on you and show you my Greek skills. But it's important for us to know what was written in the original language and how it was translated and what that means for us today. And we want to understand what's being communicated. So we have both um, aspire and desire here when we're talking about this, this particular office. And this, this aspire really means to, to, to reach out after, to, to strive for. And it describes more of an external action than, more than, than an internal action for that particular word. And then we have desire, which is a, a strong passion, and it reflects an inward drive. And so it, this is someone who outwardly pursues this type of ministry and in this work because they are driven uh, with a strong internal desire to work for the Lord in this way. And so, frankly, being a church leader is a uh, just a heavy responsibility because of uh, the, the church belongs to God, and church leaders shouldn't be chosen because of their popularity or their charisma and we see this happen often time and time again especially when you have these mega church pastors they're chosen because they speak eloquently and they have a big following and they have this charisma that draws people to them but they are light when it comes to the scripture they they're light when it comes to talking about what thus saith the lord and so that's what we need to be aware of And conscious of as we go through, and again, so we we, we're talking about Paul is talking about this this overseer. Where did that come from? The term overseer is a Greek word episkopos, and that's interchangeable in the New Testament with the term elder, pastor, bishop. These are all used interchangeably in the new testament so as we go through i'm going to use them interchangeably as well so when we look at the past the elder the the overseer the pastor etc these people the people in this office are charged with the pastoral duty of shepherding and serving the the as a human authority in the church they're responsible for the leading of the church so pastors and elders are responsible not only just to lead, but also to preach and, and teach. And they help the spiritual spiritually weak. They care for the church. They are ordained other leaders. So this is the role, what we call pastor, right? And the text here is saying overseer. But in some of the, your other translations, you might see elder, you might see bishop, and all these other things. But they're all pointing to the same office in the church. Verse 2 in chapter 3, it says, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. It seems to be all like this stuff you would expect of a pastor, right? You would think. But we're going to continue to break down some of these. We don't walk around talking about reproach these days. So what do we mean by reproach? Well, being above reproach simply means not able to be held. And so there's no valid accusation or wrongdoing that can be made against them. They are not able to be accused. They are being outside of criticism, not being open to blame. Right? So the, the person who leads the church, you wouldn't expect them to be carousing around and robbing banks and doing various things. Or even the accusation that they would rob a bank would be far-fetched. The, because you know their character, you, they've walked with you and talked with you, that it would be outside of anything that you would ever know to be of them because they live authentically. Now we have the trouble of people hiding things behind and sweeping things under the carpet, but uh, if their their lives are on display, so that that no accusation would should be able to come against them and to be able to to stick because they authentically live out their lives for the Lord. This overseer should be the husband of one wife and be faithful to her. The literal translation um, in, the, in the English language, or I'm sorry, the, the original language uh, is basically a one woman man. This is the translation that, that we, we get from there literally. And this has less to do with marital status than it has to do with purity and morality. Uh, Paul here is prohibiting both polygamy and promiscuity with the the, the person that leads the church, the pastor, the elder, the overseer. And this qualification is important because it's not just to ensure the the male headship of of the church, but also to clarify that the overseer should be set apart from culture. And in, In this culture, back in the day, the men would frequently take on more than one wife. And so in order to be set apart from that, You know, the Scripture is reading, Paul is telling Timothy, this is not how the leader of the church ought to operate. You're going to be a one-woman man, be faithful to your wife, should you have one, and not go outside of that covenant. An elder must be sober-minded. Other translations would say temperate or sensible, vigilant, clear-headed. A church leader must be respectable and hospitable. In other words, someone who is regarded as being well-behaved, uh, dignified, or, or orderly, or has uh, uh, the love for strangers, the welcoming strangers in. By the way, as you read through these qualifications, we're talking about the office of elder, overseer, pastor, and the church, and those qualities and what they look like, but they're not a bad thing for everybody else to follow either. So don't, don't feel like, oh, well, the pastor should be all of these things, but I'm okay. I, I don't have to be sober-minded. I don't have to be a one-woman man. Don't get caught on, no. The, the, this would apply to everyone within the, qualification, in, in, the in the congregation as well. So you will be uh, be due to to listen and to understand what that means. And, but one breakout of this is is um, the the uh, be, be able to teach. Being able to teach is a requirement that is not necessarily necessarily required of all believers. Now you know, we kind of mix these things up when we talk about uh, sharing our faith and sharing the gospel, right? We're all called to make disciples, and there's some teaching elements to that. But basically, when we're talking about making disciples, we're walking along somebody and we're, we're reading and studying with them and, and bringing them up. So there's some teaching in there. But by and large, the, the, the bulk of the responsibility of the, the teaching and preaching is for the office of pastor elder. And so this is one of the things that is kind of set apart, and even later when it talks about deacons, this is one of the things that is missing. The deacon doesn't necessarily have to be gifted in the area of preaching and teaching. So the responsibility of the elder is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, and we see this expressed in Ephesians 4 and 12. So an elder also must not have a reputation of being a drinker whose judgment is clouded by alcohol. Now, I'm, I'm making a distinction here because historically in, in Baptist circles, we have the teetotalers that say, hey, you shouldn't even, not a drop, not a drop of alcohol should touch your lips. You shouldn't be dancing, shouldn't be doing a, I mean, we can, we can go a long way with that. Um, but, you know, f- for some people, I agree that might be a good decision. You should uh, be a teetotaler. You shouldn't uh, be around alcohol. And, or you should, definitely shouldn't uh, be drinking to drunkenness, obviously. But as far as you know, having a sip here and there, I don't see anywhere in Scripture that would prohibit that. So we have to use our wise judgment when it comes to how we handle uh, alcohol and various things of that nature. But we shouldn't hold our brothers and sisters against the, the standard that we live by. So I'm glad nobody threw anything. If we want to have a talk about that after service, I'm willing to have a conversation. But definitely for the pastor, the elder is not somebody that should be clouded by alcohol. Elders should not be violent or um, some, some translations say pugnacious. I think we should bring that back. I like that word, pugnacious. That's, that's a pretty cool word. So the pastor should not be hot-headed. They shouldn't be ready to throw hands at the drop of a dime and get offended about something. You know, the pastors should react to difficult situations calmly and gently. You know, they shouldn't go about and like just be wilding out just because, right? They should be sober-minded again and be able to think clearly about what is happening. Finally, overseers must be motivated by the love for God and his people and not money. Um, As we look at our culture, even back then, especially today, a lot of people are motivated by money. And I mentioned, I'm not going to beat up on megachurch pastors, but it's easy to sometimes. You know, you talk about uh, the the things that they say from the pulpit is abhorrent when it comes to money. um, We we talk about this so-called prosperity gospel and what that is and um, that God wants you to be wealthy and healthy. I don't see that outlined in Scripture and they're leading people astray. God wants you to have a big house and a big car and and all the. I, I know you heard about the the pastor that got robbed in the pulpit because he's got millions of dollars. What is this man doing? I mean, he's called and they're in a storefront church. This man has got thousands upon thousands of dollars of jewelry and and stuff in, and then people came into the church and robbed this man. It, it just, and so then listening to, uh, you know, kind of his response and what was going on. And, but that's what he was about. He was about the, the, the fly suits, the, the big houses, the, the, the gobs and gobs of jewelry, while his, his people aren't living that same life. And he's saying, well, if you bless me, then you will be blessed. If you just sow a seed, then, then everything will come. And, and, I, I, and when I look at Scripture and it tells us not to be motivated by money, it's just hard to believe that they're reading the same text that I am. So it's important that we have this out, here outlined in, in, in Scripture that the church leader should not be motivated by money because a leader that, uh, of a ministry that is motivated by money reveals the heart that follows after the world and not one that follows after God someone who is a lover of money instead of a lover of the Lord. Look with me in verse 4. It says must be must manage his household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his household, how will he care for God's church? This is an often neglected verse as we go through and consider Uh, what it might look like for you to manage your house well. And it certainly doesn't mean that your family's or a pastor's family is going to be perfect. We got uh, plenty of stories about PKs and preacher's kids, right? About how they, they go about and struggle with things uh, be, because of how they were treated or grew up in the church. I mean, everything's not going to be perfect. But the, the, the goal here is to, to see how things are handled when things do come up. When when challenges arise, how does that pastor respond to what happens? We also need to look at how the, the, the pastor or potential elder handles those situations. You know, these, these men must take responsibility and be accountable to addressing them biblically. So when things come up, we have to weigh, you know, how, how am I going to handle this situation? And that might require that pastor to step aside for a time or to step aside altogether so they can handle their first ministry, which is their family. This is vitally important. There is no way uh, that, that God would institute this uh, for, for a man to care for everybody else and let his family go to the wayside. His family is his first and most important ministry. And so we have to do what we need to do in order to keep that bound and safe. The home is a proving ground of Christian character and is a good preparation for a wider ministry. So this is something that we should be looking at as we evaluate who is a potential candidate or not. But unfortunately, people in the church make themselves so busy that they end up neglecting their families. And this is true for other church leaders as well, leading uh, different programs or or, or different things going on in the church. People get so busy they spend so much time at the church doing good that sometimes their families get neglected. And I hate to say that I know several preacher's kids that no longer uh, are in church because they've been hurt by the church. They've been hurt by church members because of the way their father was uh, treated or um, things that they were expected to do, or they just lost the precious time with their families, with their father, because he ministered elsewhere instead of attending to them. This is an unfortunate reality that we live in today, but regardless of your role in church, ministry starts at home. Family is your first ministry. And if a man is not willing to care for and disciple his children, he is not fit for church leadership. I can't stress that enough, how important that is. And I think Scripture makes this abundantly clear as well. Verse 6 goes on to say, He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation, of the devil moreover he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil must not be a, a recent convert is interesting because uh, some, sometimes people come out and they're just gifted and speaking in other ways maybe they are a leader in the, in the corporate world and they're used to being in front of people and oh man this man got saved let's put him in let's make him pastor uh, that's, that's, that's going to be dangerous. That's going to be very difficult. But regardless of how gifted a person is, we, we all need to be tested by time in order to demonstrate a certain type of maturity, in order for us to build character. This is what is necessary. Uh, because, uh, like I said, the, the job is hard enough. It is complicated enough, and you, you throw in ministering to other people, caring for them, not to mention just the spending time with God and His Word and understanding the Scripture. That's one thing, but to be bombarded with everything else before you're ready is just detrimental. This is why I think it's interesting that we see, uh, when we see celebrities come to Christ, we see them, um, they they come to Christ and profess their their faith in Christ, and, and everybody's excited for which we should be, excited for them to come to Christ. But for some reason, we look to them for direction. Them being a recent convert, we're looking for them and how they live their lives, and we want to take note, but not realizing they're not yet mature in the faith. When you consider folks like Justin Bieber or Kanye West, who live in the public eye, profess faith in Christ, what we get to see is their ups and downs, because the the, the cameras are always on them, they're always in the front of people. We get to see the good, the bad, and the very ugly, and I don't know about you, but Uh, I'm a very different person than what I was when I was 16, when I was saved. I'm very different now because of the time that I've been walking with the Lord, the time he's been working on me and and improving me out. I hope that's your testimony as well. But those first few years, you would have plenty of reason to believe that I wasn't saved. Because I didn't know no better. You know, I come from living the life that I'd always lived, and I did not quite yet understand what it meant to walk with the Lord. And I had some of my old ways still continue. To, you know, I used to drive to church listening to gangster Rap. But that didn't. Those didn't match, but that's what I was used to. That was, you know, my, my favorite genre of music. And once I got saved, I didn't know that it wasn't okay until I was walking around with these lyrics in my head instead of scripture. I'm like, this can't be good for my soul. <laughs> I had to go through that realization and understanding and maturity to understand that, hey, this, this music, this worldly music is not good for my soul. I should cut this out of my life. That's what sanctification looks like. And so as we see these celebrities or anybody else that comes up, and, and we, we, we shouldn't be taking cues from them because I know I would want a camera following me around when I was a new Christian. And, man, you would be, I probably wouldn't be standing here today. Remember what you did when you were 18? And, man, let's let's keep that quiet. But we didn't have the paparazzi and all those things uh, back then. And so when we look at these these recent converts, we shouldn't use them as a representative of what Christianity looks like. They shouldn't be charged with, with teaching until they gain some maturity in the faith. The text says, otherwise, if we, if we bring them up, they, they might get puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. And I know that's true. That's the way the devil trips up the majority of, of us anyway, by puffing us up, getting us conceited and thinking we're more than what we are, thinking that we're the ones doing the things instead of Christ, the one that is in charge. The text also says we must be well thought of by outsiders. And even though outsiders may not believe in Christ or what the church does, there should be a level of respect for the elders of the church based on their character and integrity. You know if if we are bivocational, our business dealings should be respectable and full of integrity. You know, we shouldn't be saw, looked at as like, well, you know you don't do business with those church folks. They're going to take advantage of you like everybody else. That shouldn't be the case. We should be different. we should be set apart. Now, having gone through all these qualifications with you this morning, I, I got to admit, you know as as your pastor, these things are constantly on my mind. Constantly on my mind about how I'm living my life. Am I living up to what, what God has called me to? Um, how am I struggling today? How will I struggle tomorrow? And it, it's tough. And I don't take this, this calling on my life, this calling from God, I don't take this lightly. This is, this is not a, a job per se even though there might be others who think of it that way. The enemy would like nothing more than to distract and, and take out those in charge of leading God's church by puffing them up or giving them different opportunities and different things like that. We, we've seen it time and time again. We see it in all kinds of denominations, and we want to talk about the Catholics or anybody else, but, you know, we've got our own dirt that needs to be dealt with. When you look at folks like Ravi Zacharias, you know, Billy Graham's grandson, Tertullian, uh, Tullian, uh, Carl Lentz, and others, I mean, there's so many pastors that have been in the news media over the past years, it's embarrassing, it's traumatizing, it's demoralizing. We have pastors who are caught up in chasing money and, and fame we got pastors who are committing fraud. That look nothing different than what the world does, doing the same things, caught up caught up in the same things. And others have fallen into depression and taken their own lives as they struggled with different things that come up and struggling with different things in different ways. This is tough. It's difficult. So when it came to discussing this topic, I realized how important it was for me to come and just ask for your help. Just to lay it all bare here. Brothers and sisters, I need your prayers. I I need you when you're spending time with the Lord in prayer. You don't need to spend much time. Just, Just mention my name. Since we're family, I'm just going to be a little raw with you. I'm going to be vulnerable. I need your prayers for for me and my family. You know, my family is absolutely my first ministry, and I've been truly blessed with, you know, the the wife that God has has given me. You know, she's absolutely my best friend and, and my partner, and I'm just grateful that to have her by my side and as, as much as I minister to her, she she ministers to me. When I'm down, she, she lifts me up. She encourages me when, when I don't know what else to do, where else to turn. I just don't know where I'd be without her. Even though you hired me as your pastor, she has stepped up, and I know she's been there for many of you in your time of need as well. She's graciously by my side for For dinners, associational events, and speaking engagements, I drag her along to those sometimes. But please pray that that God will continue to bless our bond and marriage, that that He will continue to bless our family, our our adult children. Please continue to just uh, pray that, that God will continue to watch over us. I also need you to pray for my protection. I'm a human and I'm going to do dumb stuff. That's just the way it is. I'm going to mess up things. But uh, also the evil one prowls around like a roaring lion. And as the Scripture talked about, um, uh, people falling into disgrace and into a snare of the devil, I don't want that to be true of me. The, The evil one is laying traps everywhere, Hoping that I, I would mess up so that this church would just fall apart, and that you would, that we would have this 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 snowball effect that would take place. And because I I love what I do, I have a tendency just to, um, you know, put my head down and grind it out. But as as FBC continues to be faithful, these challenges are going to be thrown at us as we continue to follow the Lord and align ourselves with His mission. The, the, the evil one's not going to like it, and he's going to do whatever he can to get us to go in another direction. The devil looks, at, looks for anything he could do to harm a pastor's reputation through whether it be greed, uh, adultery, anger, addiction, anything that he can find. So I need your prayers for protection. I also need your prayer for my physical and mental health. Um. As many of you know, I'm bivocational. I, I have a, another job in my IT job, and I'm continuously balancing these, these workloads. You know, I love to be with you all, I love the, the preaching and teaching, and, and I also love the, the other vocation that God has given me. Um, but I need to be sure to make room for Sabbath rest. God tells us to, to rest and, and to to recharge ourselves, and he did that as an example for us, because we're not infinite like he is; we don't have continuous energy, and so for me, my my Sabbath is typically on Saturdays, and thank you for allowing me that time to dedicate myself to just recharge and to be with my family uh but i I admit I do need to take some more time to to work out and dial in dialing in my diet and and other things so I can use your prayers. Around that. And finally, um, I want you to be praying that God would raise up other elders among us. Uh, We see through Scripture all the way, you know, from the Old Testament to the New, the example of uh, the plurality of elders or leaders. And so we're used to a lot of churches operating on the single pastor model, but I don't think that's what we see exemplified through scripture. You know, as talented as I may be, I'm not talented in every area, right? So there's some gaps for me as a leader. And so by having other elders here shepherding alongside us, then that helps to shore up some of the gaps that I personally have so that you can be served in the way that you need to be, and that we can serve the community in the way that they need to be as well. So we need other elders and pastors to be able to fill this up so that we can meet the needs of the congregation and the community. So be in prayer that the Lord would raise up other elders, other pastors here among us so that we can share the load and the preaching, teaching, and serving. And there are some among us, and I would encourage those men to step up and do what God has called you to do while you lift these things, these needs up to the Lord, please also be thinking about other churches and pastors as well. Like I mentioned before, we're not in competition with any of the churches on this very street or in Bowling or elsewhere. Um, we might disagree on some facets of different things, across cross dominations and things of that nature, but by and large, for those who are preaching the gospel, who are preaching scripture and being true to it, their jobs are hard, and they need our prayer to serve their own congregations. We can't have all of Bowling to come here. while we, we might like that. It would be a little cramped, but we need these other churches around, so I would beg you to be praying for them as well. Let me leave with you with this. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. So so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the, the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves Uh, all of you with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, he will exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone Endeavor. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. I, I personally thank you just for entrusting me in the way that you have to serve you and your people. And for sure, I do not take it lightly, but I just love the way that you have cared for us here at First Baptist Bolingbroke. How you have shaped us, the, how you've blessed us, the, the people that you have raised up here to, to make your name great. Father, I submit myself to you that we will continue to walk in the way that you have put before us use me in the way that you see fit so that you might get the glory that you rightly deserve. Father, help me to lead your people in the way that they might know you, they may love you, that continue to be drawn to you, not only for their own salvation and edification, but so that they would go out and be excited about who you are and what you've done that you would draw people to them so they can share the testimony of what you've done in their lives so that other people might hear how they can be saved as well. Let this church be known for preaching the gospel without any excuse, without being ashamed, standing on your firm word, proclaiming this truth. That this might be a place for shelter this might be a sanctuary for those who are looking for it father we just thank you so much for all that you've done the things that you will continue to do and we thank you in the name of jesus amen